Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music, and you can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's available on Amazon, written by B.J. Trollio, teaching professional at Old Waverly. Today, we've got uh, Jerry Haas, the head coach of the Wake Forest men's golf team. This is his 25th year. Of course, he was an All-American there, part of the NCAA championships teams there. Played on the European Tour, won three times on the Nike slash Hogan Tour, and played on the PGA Tour as well. His uh, uncle Bob won the Masters and multiple times uh, on the PGA Tour and Champions Tour, as his uh, brother Jay did as well. Great golfing family, grew up in Belleville, Illinois, and he's been at the helm uh, at Wake Forest, has done a great job. He's had so many great players, a lot of current players on the PGA Tour that you know. And it's going to be great to catch up with them, and uh, can't wait for you all to hear from Jerry Haas. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome my good friend Jerry Haas to the podcast. Jerry, I appreciate you spending some time with me this morning. Jim, it's great to hear your voice, and it's nice to be with you and talk a little golf. Yeah, we've known each other a while back, played some against each other in college, of course, on the tour, but you've been the coach at Wake Forest, and I hate to do this to you. This is your 24th year since 1997? 20, 25th year, actually, 25th, if you count yeah. it. It rolls over into 2022, but um, I never would have thought that. I quit kind of playing, uh, traveling at, 20, at 33, and uh, here I am 25 years later, still loving it, and um, got a really good team, and uh, I enjoy it being around good players which uh, makes your job all that much better and you've had plenty of good players and we'll go through that as well but uh, everybody knows your uncle bob won the masters multiple times on pj tour champs tour of course your older brother jay as well an incredible career but who kind of got you started and were your big influence early on and uh, when you were starting to play the game uh, i would say my uncle bob goldie um jay and i are 10 years apart so he got right on the pga tour at 22 years old, 23. So I was pretty impressionable, I guess, with my golf game at ages 12 to 18. And my uncle was around. He was working for NBC Sports mm-hmm. as a common. And he had a driving range that he was running in Belleville, Illinois, where we all grew up. And uh, I would work the range. And um, like many teachers back in the day, he would give me something to work on. And then he'd be gone for a couple weeks, two, three weeks, and I wouldn't see him, but I would work really hard on it. We didn't really have cameras. Uh, You just hoped you were doing it right. And then I always laugh, and then I'd come back, and we'd get together, and I'm like, all right, what do you think? And he goes, oh, no, no, that's not right. I'm like, what do you mean that's not right? I I just worked on it for three weeks. No, let me show you again. And then he would show you again. So that was kind of the way teaching uh, evolved back in the day. You kind of – if you will, learn from each other. And, you know, my uncle Bob Goldie played with Snead and Hogan and Nelson and Palmer and Nicholas Trevino. And he was in a great time of golf and great players. So he would always tell Jay that, Hey, this is what these guys do. And, um, this is what you need to work on. And, and I credit him uh, a lot as being a really good teacher because I think today there's too much information and you can really kind of mess a person up. And, he would let you figure it out on your own. And that, um, you know, as yourself, as a great player that you, at the end of the day, you got to figure it out on your own. You're out there and, um, it's you, I guess, basically against everybody. And like they always say, no one really cares what you shoot and the others wish you would have shot higher. That's what my wife says every day. I was struggling. That's exactly what she said. That's, that's so true. What's the best advice he ever gave you? 
I mean, it's probably so much, but what's something that really stands out when you think about it today? Uh, what piece of advice did uh, Uncle Bob give you? He gave me a, he talked about the grip a lot and the importance of the grip. And he's like, I could talk on that for hours. And um, as I recruit today, I often hear his voice in the back of my head, and I hear him on my shoulder talking to me. He always said if you had a really good grip and good fundamentals, you could get better. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always many cases where somebody did something pretty unorthodox or had a really poor grip, and eventually it catches up up with you once you kind of lose your nerve, if you will. You, you don't know when to release and, you know, where is the club face. So he was really, really big stickler on the grip, and uh, – I have a 17-year-old son now named Kyle that's a very good player. And, I mean, I check his grip about every other day, and uh, he keeps showing, how's that look? I'm like, yeah, it's a little better. Still could be better. So um, it's a game of a lifetime, as we know, and um, I still love to play. You still love to play. So he was basically telling me that if you wanted to play this game a long time, your fundamentals could carry you. Um, Obviously, you had to chip and putt, and you had to – you know, have some heart and guts and all that. But at the end of the day, if you could hit it a little bit, um, that's one thing that always, always has stuck out with me. You you say that, and it sounds, everybody says, oh, that's old school. But it has to be fundamentals. It's the base. It's the basis of everything. And if you don't have good fundamentals, the rest of it doesn't. I think we get lost in the golf swing. Nobody pays attention to the grip, the setup. I, I, that's such a great point, and I think it gets lost, don't you, in, in today's world? Everything's focused on the golf swing and all the different things that are out there, and they forget about the grip sometimes or even where you place the ball in your stance. Exactly. He always said, you know, sometimes if you're a little off, you go back to your basics and, you know, check your ball position alignment, and within a couple buckets of balls, all of a sudden you're starting to hit it good again. And, um, yeah, I, I'm amazed. Uh, to be honest, Jim, when I get some of these videos and I watch some of these players up close and I look at their grips and, but here, here's the thing. And I've done this a long time. If you're a teaching professional at a course and you've got a young kid that's coming up and he's really good, but you know, as a teaching professional that man, his grip's bad or he does something that really is probably not going to hold him back. Well, if you say something and try to change that, that young man or yet that young lady will all of a sudden struggle and not play very well. And then they'll look at the teacher and say, wow, he was really good or she was really good. So so-and-so got a hold of them and, and really messed them up. Well, he was trying to help them, you know, down the line and help them in the long run. But so what happens is they ignore that. They see the ball fly. They draw some lines on a camera and they pull you're 18 degrees today and yesterday you were 17 degrees that's why you hit it to the right well to me that's part of it hitting the ball offline and and learning to play from the rough or learning to play a five or six hole stretch where you don't even hardly make contact with the face but yet you somehow played them in one over and then you make a few birdies late and all of a sudden you, you shoot two under so that lost a lot today in the teaching and these kids because teachers really, really have to, you know, their livelihoods on the line and parents are sending them there. And, you know, you make my, my son a better player or my daughter a better player or else. And, and, you know, Jim, I mean, you, you spent years at your craft and I've spent years at it and I'm still learning at 58 trying to get better. So it, it never, it never ends. Your body changes. Um, you know, you get longer, you get shorter, you get, 
stiffer, you, whatever it is. And these uh, young players today don't realize that, man, I didn't sleep great last night, or I, you know, why am I not hitting it great today? Well, you're just not. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It looks the same on camera. It's just different. Yeah, that's so well said because so many, everybody in our world, it's instant success. And then when you make a change, you're going to get worse. <laughs> you're going to go backwards before you go forward. It, and, oh, man. And now you're, it takes a lot for that young man or that young lady to kind of see the light and really trust in that teacher. And uh, I think the best teachers in the world can make small changes, and yet the player can still be a very good player. And uh, I, I always have hated through the years that, Oh, I'm changing my swing. Well, that's why I'm shooting in the eighties now. I'm like, all right, you don't have to you don't have to still shoot in the eighties. You should be able to find a way to get it around, whether yeah. it's toe, toe hooks or heel shanks or whatever. You should be able to play if you can play. Well, we've good playing golf swing and not golf shots, golf right. playing. And I think that's the, the biggest thing uh for so many young players out there. And you're right, they want that instant success. They're paying big bucks for you to get instantly better. And we sometimes we aren't as patient. And I think, as you said, if you've got a young player and they've got a, a grip or an issue, it's got to be taken care of early on so it's not tougher as they get into college or even as a pro to make that because it becomes their signature uh, if you're not careful. If I, it's a learned habit. Exactly. Yeah, can I tell a story if, yeah, if we got time? we got plenty. we got all Web, day. Web, yeah, all right. Webb Simpson came and played for me here at Wake Forest and um, – Arnold Palmer scholarship and this really nice player out of Raleigh. And the first week he's here, I'm looking at his grip and I'm like, Oh man, he's got the long thumb through there. And he's got, he's got about maybe two fingers of the right hand on there. And as he takes it back, it looked like he was playing a flute or something. His fingers are moving <laughs> around. It. So I'm, I'm laying in bed the first week he's on campus. And every night I'm like, should I say something or shouldn't I? And, so finally, one day I acted like I was filming somebody else and I really zoomed in on him. And true story, I call him over and I say, well, I want to show you something. And, and he'd been a little leery of me the first week. And I understand that he had his teacher at home and, you know, I'm not going to mess him up. And I'm certainly I'd like to say in 25 years, I haven't had too many kids that have left here worse. You know, like, mm -hmm. I, I, I under teach before I over teach. But so Webb comes over and he looks at it. And I show it to him. I show him the fingers moving. He goes, man, who is that? <laughs> and I started laughing. I'm like, that's you. And he's like, no way that's me. And then he started looking at the grip and the gloves. And he's like, God, that is me. And I'm like, all right. I said, you know, I'm not telling you what to do here, but you need to get all 10, 10 fingers on the club here. And you need some context, kind of like tires on a car. We got to have some, there's a lot of shock going on, a lot of happening down there at the ball. Let's, Let's see if we can improve on that. So I went inside. I got him a, a formed grip mm -hmm. on there, the one the formed grip with a seven iron. And, and I made him, and he said, oh, man, this feels so weird. And he hit probably 15 of the prettiest seven irons you've ever seen. He just had the biggest smile. He's like, well, I can do that. Well, the next day, of course, he's back to his old, oh, yeah. moving the paint, whatever. So – uh, he did not play very well at NCAA at Caves Valley his freshman year. And, and we had a great relationship. And I couldn't get a hold of him for about two or three weeks. And uh, finally he calls me. I'm like, man, where have you been? He goes, I've been changing my grip. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I start laughing. He goes, yeah. And he goes, I, that 79 I shot is unacceptable. I got to. So anyway, so he went. And, uh, and when I did talk to his teacher, Ted Kegel, and Ted's like, oh, thank you for saying something. And 
uh, about his grip. And, you know, there was an example of Ted having a really good player and Webb shooting 59, you know, and all this stuff at his course. And, you know, how do you change that? But uh, so he wins the U.S. Open out at the Olympic Club. And then they had an article in Golf Digest that said, you know, play like Webb Simpson had all he had a picture of his hands on the club. So I called him up and I said, did they airbrush your hands on the club? <laughs> he started laughing. That's so, awesome. That's, that's so true. <clears throat> and, yeah. and, and when you're teaching and coaching, everybody wants to hear what they want to hear. And, and But not everybody wants to hear what's the truth. And <laughs> And I think that's an example where fortunately it changed because sometimes teachers are, as they get and they're playing so well, they don't want to change something uh, and it really needs to be done early on. Uh, and you mentioned something that, and you grew up in the Midwest, but you know, now we see these kids coming into college and they're, we all are good athletes, but do you, what's your opinion on kids playing other sports and not focusing strictly on maybe just golf and maybe early on and, and playing other sports? That I, I love that, Jim. I, I love that so much. I, I like a good athlete because you you play other sports, you learn how to be a teammate, you learn how to win, you learn how to lose, you learn how to compete. And um, it has gotten so specialized in, in golf and baseball, football, everything that kids play nowadays. And the, the reality is that the parents are probably a little bit uh, panicked or a little nervous that, man, if this kid doesn't get good right now, then yeah. he's not going to have a chance to go to college. And if he plays basketball and football and baseball and, um, you know, I played golf and basketball and baseball in high school. I'm sure you played many sports. As soon as the season ended, I went to the next sport. Right. So I think that really, really helped me. And when I'm recruiting today, I like a kid that uh, tell me that, yeah, I'm, I'm on the AAU basketball team or, hey, I play baseball or, you know, I'm, I'm a really good running back or whatever it is. I'm like, man, I'd like to get a hold of that kid. I'd like him to come here because I feel like in the long run, um, the sad thing about maybe college golf recruiting is we look at a kid when he's maybe 15, 16, possibly 17, if he's still available, and then you make that decision and you kind of think to yourself, what's he going to be like when he's 20? You know, how's he going to pan out? And then, and you break it down they they commit so early that you don't get them for another year and a half, sometimes two years before they actually get on your campus. And then, you know, hopefully they're still the same player and hopefully they ha- have not uh, digressed in any way. Or um, it, It's just very, very, very tough college golf recruit. If I always liken it, if I'm going to recruit Jim Gallagher, to be my tight end at Wake Forest, and all of a sudden you can't catch. Mm-hmm. When you get, to, you can't catch. I'm going to make you an outside linebacker or a special teams guy. I can do something with you because you're a good athlete. But all of a sudden the golfer gets a bad lesson, or he's got the chip yips, or the you know he doesn't putt well, or or whatever the the situation is. Now you have to try to figure that out pretty quickly, or else. Um, you know, you missed on that kid. Is there anything specific you look for? I mean, there's no way to predict it, like you said. And I think what's happened, and you've been around it, and I watched it with my girls being recruited, they are now, y'all aren't able to get them and make them, not make them, but so many kids were committing in seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Uh, are, there, right. are there specific things you kind of look for that maybe can help you guide you doing? How do you balance that? How do you, 
you know, take not take the chance, but how do you balance that? Because it's, it's changed. There's so many things that changed in you and recruiting now, but how do you balance that and figure out this may be the kid that can do it? Is there something special there? Um, I think every coach probably has a different uh, <clears throat> philosophy, but I would say that I, um, uh, number one, I, I want to be around somebody that uh, I'm going to enjoy their company, I guess, for four years. And, and not only four years, but, you know, the rest of your life, you hope that, I've got a bulletin board behind me with uh, former players and their kids and been to weddings and, you know, I stay in touch with, um, you know, most of them and um, always send them a little goodie or just say, Hey, thanks for coming to wake Forest." But uh, you, you start with the kid and, and when you're recruiting them, you know, I look at dumb things like uh, I gave a kid more scholarship one time before he got here because he wet his towel. Uh, <laughs> I watched him dip it in a bucket and wring it out. And I was like, no other kid does that. They yeah. spit on their towel and they, you know, they they don't clean their grips. And, you know, he's cleaning his ball. And I'm like, you know, that kid, he already does a lot of good things. I like it. I look at things like, uh, are they nice to their parents? Are they respectful yeah. to their parents? Uh, you know, do they get the flag when it's laying on the green and they've already finished? Or do they just go to the next hole? And do they walk ahead of them? Do they clank their clubs? Are they moving? You know, I, I look at kids that um, – I don't know that that respect the game a little bit, have good etiquette, uh, um, just just small little things. You know, I probably think about the the best players, and I feel like they all had pretty wide arcs for their swing. You know, they they were long armed and very flexible. I look for flexibility. Um, length doesn't really, you know, matter to me that much. Um, if a guy hits toe hooks and shoots sixty eight. And the other guy looks like a tour pro and shoots 78. I'll take the 68 every day. Mm-hmm. That's not livelihood. But um, you, you got to get a little lucky. Sometimes it's not who you get. It's who you don't get. And, you know, you try really hard to get a kid. Um, I would say I like uh, kids that, that, that are very unspoiled by junior golf. Um, a great example of that was Cameron Young, yep. who's uh, doing really well on the PGA Tour and uh, you know, I think it was between us and Stanford, and uh, he was from New York, and I recruited him very, very heavily, and I just liked him. He only played one AJGA event, and not that there's anything wrong with all these junior tours, but his dad just always felt that, well, there's so many good courses up here in New York that why should I have to travel around the country? And he, he played with uh, in amateur events that, in the Met section, and um, he was really, really good, and he was very... Uh, unspoiled by traveling and, you know, I need this or I need that. And very self-sufficient young man. And um, he won twice here as a freshman. And then he comes in my office and he uh, he says, there's about nine things I want to change with my swing. And I said, well, no, we could make it look better, but is it really better? I said, you know, you're, you're a pretty explosive player and you do a lot of good things. So I said, all right, I hear you. I called his dad that night, David Young, who's the pro at Sleepy Hollow. And I said, look, um, your son came in. He wants to change nine things. And and I said, look, I, out of respect for you, I know that you've taught your, your son all, all his life. And you know him better than I do. And his dad, his dad, the conversation lasted about 45 seconds. His dad was like, well, that's why I sent him there. You know, if you feel like you need to change something or he does, then that's fine with me. I'm like. Well, I understand that, but I just don't want to step on your toes. And he's like, yeah, I had a long day. And I had an outing today, and I'm pretty tired. So, you know, whatever you decide, that's great with me. And I'm like, 
I hung up and I said to myself, now there's a good parent right there. Yeah. There's a that, that gets it, and therefore now you fast forward and Cameron Young uh, looks like a kid that could be a really nice player for a long time just because um, his dad doesn't complicate it. Um, he makes a good shoulder turn and uh, you know completes it coming through. You look at good players, they, they complete that rotation of the their chest and their body. Um, so when they're choking and can't can't fit down the stretch they just basically rely on their instincts and their movements of their body yeah so, so true um, I, I think that's that's kind of the lost part I, it's so hard to balance it because they all have teachers uh you're kind of like that second set of eyes and that's all the coaches say we just kind of stay in touch with their teacher or their parent and and golf is becoming more like tennis where parents are a lot more involved um, and it, it's we've and it's hard to f- figure that out but you've got to look for people also that match up with the people you have there I mean, that's the balance yeah. because it's like you said, that's why good athletes or kids that play other sports are able to adjust to, to college golf so much easier. And it's such a, uh, an easier, uh, you know, ad- ad- adaption, but a lot of kids are leaving early. Uh, do you look at that when you're recruiting, knowing a kid, well, he may leave early or how do you keep them and convince them that pro golf's always going to be there? Let's just try to get a degree or let's start to stay here for at least three or four years and, and get the most out of college. Cause pro golf's always going to be there. How do you, kind of encourage them to do that? Um, you know, I haven't had many that uh, have left early. I've had only in 25 years, I've had five kids not graduate. And, wow. uh, I, I think that starts a little bit at home, Jim, with the parents and they say, Hey, you're going to college and you're going to get an education. And, um, along the way, you know, you, you learn a lot about yourself. And, and my brother Jay has always said that this is the hardest that these young men or these young women will work at their game probably ever in their life unless they play it professionally because they're, you know, you practice them every day, you're qualifying, you're, you've got a club in your hand almost every day. So if you're going to get any good at this game, this is the time you're probably going to get pretty good at it. Um, there's been, I mean, I can't even think of body a very rare occasion where, somebody didn't do very well in college and then all of a sudden, well, wait till I get out. I don't have to study and I can just practice. Well, practicing is great. I, I, uh, Bill Haas and Webb Simpson hit probably a hundred balls total between the two of them in, in four years. And people look at me, I'm like, they just played every single day. They had a game every day and they went over and they, uh, probably played for a few bucks and, uh, you know, and then they would stop sometimes uh, around the green and chip and then they'd play some more and they would play wolf and they would play partners and they just love to play. And I, and I've, uh, I think kids stand on the range too much. I mean, you hit flat, you got a perfect lie, you rake it in and you hit a shot. Oh, I didn't like that one. We just rake in another one. We're on the course. If you play, you've got to putt every hole. Um, you're going to hit it in a bunker. You're going to hit it in a fairway bunker. You're going to get a, a wind that's left to right, um, you know, with a bad shadow, or you're going to get, you're going to get something that makes you very uncomfortable. And, um, you know, if, if Jim Gallagher tees off at one o'clock, you hit a driver down the first, well, the second hole's a par three. And then the third hole, you're hitting an iron off the tee because there's a creek down there. And now on the fourth hole, which is, I don't know, 44 minutes later, 30, 34 minutes later, now all of a sudden you hit a driver again. So, that's a lot different than standing there and, oh, that wasn't a very good drive, and then teeing up another one. Oh, hey, that was better. Yeah, now I'm figuring it out. Well, no, you really didn't figure it out. You, you, you're you a good athlete, and therefore you could make it go okay, but 
can you really make it go when you know when it's crunch time? So true. I could have played for you because I hated the practice. Uh, yeah, well, you we had it every day, Jim. We had to play. <laughs> I'd have played as but I, I did because I guess because I grew up on a golf course with no range where my dad was the pro and and I just play as many holes and we were limited on times back then. You couldn't play between four and five or all these different you know, twelve and four and all those things. Uh, but I agree. I think they spend too much. And you've got beautiful facilities, as you do at Wake, and they get spoiled with that, and they want to spend time there. Uh, but that's that creativity, I think, that in, in thinking uh, different lines, different shots when you get out and play. I think that's such a, a big benefit. But uh, let's go back. Well, I'll tell you what, while we're here, let's. what adjustments have you had to make in coaching? You've been there, as you said, this is 25 years. What kind of adjustments? Because the game has changed uh, somewhat with length and technology and, and teaching instruction. What are some of the adjustments you've had to make uh, just in your uh, coaching? Um, I wouldn't say that they don't listen as well, but they don't seem to um, maybe grasp it a little bit when you tell them, um, you know, hey, you got to watch this pin over here. Uh, and you throw them out, put the cups out there in the practice round. And I can tell you from years, we've been to this tournament a lot to, this, this whole place short. Um, I'm thinking of a, a hole that we came up, uh, the third hole at the Floridian. I don't know, it's like 340 to the water, and I told them in the practice round, believe it or not, this may be a three-wood if it's downwind because you can get to the water, and a couple of them drove it in the water. They hit drivers, and they're like, well, it was 340. I'm like, I know, but I, I, I've seen it. I, I've told you that, and uh, that's the frustrating part. That um, I always say, look, I don't want to be right. I'm not trying to say, hey, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm just trying to help you shoot a better score. Mm-hmm. Uh, make that year makes our team better. Um, you know, when they, they the practice round is so important that uh, and a lot of kids don't know how to play a practice round. You know, they're worried about how they're hitting it. And, you know, they don't putt to where the cup's probably going to be. They stand around the hole in the middle of the green and make five footers, and then they have a putt in the tournament, and they have no idea what it, what it does, where I'm saying if you hit – uh, 10 or 15 pots if, if the water is is in front of the, the green and the pins just over the water if you're a good player you're most likely going to be past that pin unless you hit it fat and you get lucky and it gets close so in the practice round you should putt from behind that pin down that hill or whatever it is and you know they they don't they putt from the you know i want to say putt where you think you're going to be now if you hit it a foot and you tap in well good for you but at least be prepared um, the best possible way you can. Uh, Gary, Gary Hallberg, who first team All American, all four years here at Wake, uh, we played a tournament at a course, and he plays that a lot. So he sent me these great notes, and I, I just one after another, I see him in the wrong spot, and you know, going for greens and doing this and that, and boy, these bunkers are bad. I want to say, yeah, I told you that, you know, and so that's the little bit of the frustrating part. The good ones get it. The ones that struggle don't seem to get that. They don't seem to grasp it as quickly for whatever reason. And uh, um, I always wanted to do like a, a paper, a thesis or whatever, because um, you think about kids that were good in college, then they all of a sudden were right on tour and they were good on tour and they seemed to, to make it. I would say that Tom Lehman kind of was a guy that was a late bloomer at mm-hmm. 29, 30, He's one of the rare guys because you get so much scar, scar tissue and baggage that uh, it takes a long time to get out there. And once you finally get out there, you have guys that, oh, man, he's 36 and he's finally out here. Well, he lasts about two or three years because 
he, some reason he took him that long to get out there. And then when he gets out there, something happens that he can't stay out there. So it, um, it's a very, very tough game to, I guess, keep yourself pumped up and keep staying after it and, um, all that stuff. But it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, it, it's something that, I think I think the practice rounds. That was a great point because I had a young player playing in college freshman year. He's telling me, "Hey, you know, I know where to hit it off the tee. I get up on the greens. I don't know where all the ledges are. I don't know where all the slopes are yet because I'm learning them." And I kind of said, "Well, spend the majority of your time around the green, chipping, putting." Uh, find a landmark in the back to kind of tell you where the the ledges are. And, and this was interesting. We did the Darius Wrecker at Long Cove for the women uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And I've never seen this done. Maybe the guys do it. But the university, you all know where the flags are going to be cut for those three days. They actually put flags, uh, and they had a little device where they sat them on the green. When they came into the fairway shot, they could see where the flags were going to be each day. I thought that was brilliant to give the players a visual. This is where the flag's going to be, or this is where the flag's going to be. I've never seen that before. I thought that was a brilliant way uh, of playing a practice round, focusing more on where the pins are going to be. Absolutely, yep. And then, and then as a good player, you take it a step further. You look at that pin, and then you say, you know what? Hey, long left here is actually okay. I'm chipping back uphill. Mm-hmm. Better than short. So then if you get in the fairway and you're between a 7 and an 8, then you say, you know what? I can be a little aggressive on this pin. And just the opposite, you look and say, oh, man, over is no good. i got to make sure I stay under this one. Um they they don't quite realize the value of a par. Right. Um, they think they think if it's a driver five iron downwind, everybody's hit driver five iron to ten feet and make an eagle. And if they don't, they tap in for birdie. But not the case at all. And uh, you know, I, I refer to my uncle a lot, and my uncle would always say, you know, you can still shoot a good score by paring a couple easy holes. And uh, you know, that's always kind of sunk in with me because. If you don't birdie that par five, then the next hole is a tough par three, and you hit a four iron twenty feet and make it. Well, you just went par birdie, and the other guy goes birdie bogey. You're better than him for those two holes. You're one under, and he's even. Absolutely. So um, it's it's a it's a five hour chess game out there, four and a half hours where you're you're trying to maneuver yourself and and keep yourself calm. But yet, you know, I always say, play with emotion, but don't be emotional. True. That's a huge huge difference and the ones that can kind of keep in the thing and, and stick with their game plan and realize that, you know, the cream will rise to the top here over 54 holes and, and, and keep, keep at it and, and, and make adjustments. You, when I'm recruiting, I look at a kid, Oh, Jim shot 78, 74, 68. Ooh, Jim shot 77, 70, 67. Hey, Jim's pretty good at making adjustments. I'd rather have him than the kid that shoots 69, 76, 81. He seems to he can't handle the pressure as much, and he seems to have not made the adjustments. Well, I think so, I think that's true. Adjustments versus changes, even during the round. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the tough balance for young players because you're dealing with guys are, you know, they're past junior golf and, and they're dealing, they're learning still. I think that's the the difficult part. Even the pros struggle with that. What did you learn? Uh, you were an All American. You've been on national championship teams. You've won three times on the Nike Tour. You played professionally for nine years. You're still a good player. You still stay competitive. I don't know how the heck you do it. Uh, what what are you able to tell these guys from your experiences? What are some of the things you tell them from your experiences that help you and your coaching and help teach them along the way? I would say one thing that I've uh, yeah that's why I'm still decent and. You know, I, I just figure there's not many coaches that 
can still play a little bit that'll actually put a sign a card and play and um you know i won the south carolina open when i was 56 here i think probably the oldest guy to win it i made seven birdies in a row wow down at down at a course where jay my brother jay plays at and i told him later i said i think the golf gods thought it was jay hot playing <laughs> not <Kurt." laughs> <laughs> that's why I made seven in a row. But he's like, I never made seven in a row. And I'm like, yeah, I, anyway, I, I like that. <laughs> you had but, to get, you had to get big brother, a little grief, didn't you? <laughs> oh yeah, I did. Yeah. But I, I, I say that the one thing and the reason that I think I stay okay, I stretch okay. every morning and every night. And I, and I harp on these guys about stretching because they're all real flexible and they're all, they think, Oh, I'm always going to be flexible. But you know, the importance of getting the club in a good position and, and creating that coil of your golf swing and your spring. And, I mean, you've looked at a 1,000 swings. I've looked at a 1,000 swings. Nobody uh, swings at the same. You know, it might mm-hmm. look the same, but wrist position is different. Their club face is different. Their hand height is different. Their impact is a little different. Um, you know, so I, I kind of believe, like, the body, if the body is moving well, you'll kind of figure out as a good player with, with good hand-eye. So, um I, I can't, uh, that's probably the, the hidden thing that no one ever talks about is flexibility and stretching. And, and I think we're seeing a little bit more of it in the game of golf and, um, that, um, there are things that you do, you know, if you're on the PGA tour, you go to the trailer and they stretch you every day and they keep you loose and flexible. But, um, I tell the players too, if I'm trying to play in something and I have some success, I'm like, I just didn't step out and have that success this week I, I i prepared for that for years and mm-hmm. every single day of my life i i do something you know i try to eat right and i try to stretch and i try to I, i've become a much better player as a coach because i sit and i watch these guys and i realize jim that we we make it so difficult we make the game so much harder than it really has to be and um i i tell them to watch golf on tv um They'll, they'll, there was guys at the players that had 220, and they might lay up on yeah. 16, you know? And, oh, my gosh, a kid at 220, he, in college, there's no way he'd lay up. Mm-hmm. You know, he wouldn't be – he'd thinking, man, if I can get this back there. But the pro knows that, man, if I get this a little hot out of the rough, this thing hits on the green, it's in the water, that's a penalty, you know? I might as well just be aggressive and hit a 7-iron or 6-iron and get it up there where I can pitch it. Uh, kind of take three out of play, if you will, but um, they they realize that the 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 value of of I don't like this, you know, I can reach for sure, but I just don't like it, and um, I think that's uh, the one of the things that uh, I really try to stress to these players that you know don't make it difficult. If you don't like driver on that hole, don't hit driver. If you if you like iron off that hole, who cares if if everybody else is hitting driver? If it makes you play that hole better. That's all that matters. Absolutely, and I, I think that's the that's the thing. You got to play your game. You can't worry about. I think everybody got caught up at the Bryson DeChambeau distance. Rory said he did. All these guys chasing distance. These guys are long enough. But how has working out in college changed? And you mentioned something that's so important: flexibility. And that's why I end up having to basically quit playing because I wasn't staying flexible enough. How is the workout? Because I know I talked to Jay Goble at, at Baylor, the women's coach, and they and the, both the men and women hired specifically a person that's golf-minded for their workouts. What are some of the things you all do at Wake Forest uh, in your workouts? 
we uh, we're very lucky. We've had a guy now for I think nine years. He's been our strength and conditioning guy, and his name's Coach Bass, David Bass, and um, he's been here longer than that. But he's uh, TPI certified, and um, he does a lot of core work, a lot of stretching, uh, a lot of lower back. Um, you know, he doesn't believe that um, you lay down. There's not a lot of bench pressing. You know, you don't lay down in around the golf. So everything's up with movement. Um, a lot of med ball throws. There's, they've got a brick wall outside the weight room. You can roll up the garage, and you know, you do the side throws and and all those things for explosiveness. And um, and that come with the TPI experience. And uh, they they work out about four mornings a week. I think they had workout this morning just after spring break at 6:30, and uh, but they they love it. They uh, they have no complaints, and and basically it's a discipline mm-hmm. that um, they they have to be there. And if you're going to be there, I'm like, well, well, let's do it. If you're going to be there, let's try to get better. You know, let's try to make our body better. You're going to be a little sore. You're going to be a little this, but you know, um, I do have a couple others that'll go maybe a couple more days a week as well. Um, they might do some cardio in those other days, but. Um, I have one kid that's uh, Michael Brennan that's won uh, mm-hmm. four times, and he just qualified for L.A. I caddied for him at Riviera, and he shot 66, played beautifully. And, I um, mean, he doesn't eat chocolate, and he, uh, you know, stays in great shape and works out about six times a week. And uh, on top of that, he's a 3-5 student. So wow. he's, a, he's a coach's dream. Yeah, that, uh, Basically, in the recruiting, it's Wake, Duke, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Vanderbilt, Stanford. Um, I'll probably miss a couple in there too. But you know, we kind of go for the same kid, uh, somebody that you think can handle the schoolwork. Uh, it's a pretty good academic load here at Wake, and uh, but yet at the same time, um, obviously a good player. So it's uh, yeah, you could, you, could, you could throw Notre Dame in there now too, a Northern school. Which yeah, you rarely Dame. see Northern schools be able to do what the Southern schools can do in uh, balance. Yeah. I think that's the thing. How do you, so how do you, what advice do you have for the kids that are listening? You know, for, when they're listening, what they're looking for, because school is why you're there. Uh, it's not just to play golf. Yeah. So what advice do you have for the kids out there to get them prepared? So when they come to college, because it's going to be a, a shock when they get there to balance school workouts, like you said, uh, golf, they want a personal life. How do you, what advice do you have for those kids to balance all those things? I think they have to walk in here like they belong. You know, they can't look at this guy, oh, he's so much better than me, and this or that. Uh, they have to have a plan. They have to know that, uh, you know, it may be a little bit before I play, but uh, I'm not going to give in. I'm going to play with the best players. I'm going to learn. I'm going to listen. I'm going to, I know my time is going to come, and when it does, I'll be ready for it. And, and, you know, I've recruited so many kids. I think this kid is so tough, and then he gets here and he's so soft. And then I have another kid. I think this kid, I don't know about him. And then he turns out to be so tough, you know. So it's 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 hard to tell which way is the kid going to go. Um, I, I would say you you have to be prepared. The golf is the easiest part of college. It's mm-hmm. all those other things. It's, it's the going to class. It's the going to workout. It's fitting in on the team. It's you know making your schedule. It's learning how to say no. Um, a lot of times. Um, you know, back to Notre Dame there, John Henry, what a what a great job he's doing. I, I knew he'd be a good coach. He was down assistant at Florida for Buddy Alexander, and um, he's done a really, really good job of identifying players. And um, you, you kind of teach him how you want him to uh, 
think, I guess, about the game and not so much act, but how you think about it, how you prepare, how you um, get ready. And for recruits out there, I would say this. You come to college after three months of summer, three and a half months of summer, and then you're only there for three months. And then you get about almost five to six weeks off. And then you come back and you're there for about four months. Well, the other five months, you get to spend three and a half months at home in the summer. You get to, you know, spend five weeks. And if you have a teammate that lives in a warm place, you could spend a warm Florida, you know, break over Christmas or whatever. But too many kids, oh, I got to go south. I got to go down here. Where I always tell them, you need to look maybe sometimes north. You need to look at all the opportunities up there. Now, sure, it may be a little you know, dicey in February or early March, but eventually the weather breaks and there's been so many good players. I mean, you you grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Illinois. Right. You know, Hale Irwin grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and, you know, you just go on and on and on. And, uh, Steve Stricker's a Wisconsin guy. And, you know, it's just, it, you don't have to always be in the sunshine. And I personally think that might be an advantage because, you played other sports and you, you gave your body a rest and you gave your mind a rest from golf. And um, when you can't play all the time, that's sometimes okay because it gives you, it gives you a, um, I wouldn't say a release, but it gives you something that, all right, I don't have to worry about it. If you're a place where it's beautiful every day, you think, ah, I feel guilty not playing today. That That's hard for a kid to do. Well, that's hard the thing. A, you need a time to decompress. And that's why yeah. time management is so important. And that's what makes successful college players or students or whoever yeah. is being able to manage that time because you do need time off. And that's what we got. I think that's why we still love the game is we had those times off. And northern teams come south. Uh, they have they yeah. those tournaments in Florida or Arizona. I think the toughest time – and I talked to John Fields about that. I said, man, I, I would think going into the fall would be the best time to play. Kids are playing. The golf courses are in shape because our guys are tired from the summer. Yeah. He said, we're tired from yeah. the summer. And I'd never even thought about that. And, and spring are the toughest conditions, and you know that. And you guys play. And I think what – and I don't know about y'all's schedule, and I've looked at it. I think now y'all are playing more all over the country in case you get put in a regional somewhere else or learn to play different courses. And that's been an adjustment yeah. too as well. Yeah, learn to play different grasses, different weather, different – you know, you don't want a kid that's only good in the summertime. You want a kid that can play on Bermuda, that can play on – Seaside bent out there at you know Pebble Beach. That man, these greens are spooky. But you got to have good speed. Um, my, I guess my biggest pet peeve is that kid that's got a twelve footer or a ten footer, and then as soon as he hits it, he's got to go into his pocket to get his marker. You know, I always like look from ten feet. It either should be in, not at the tap end. You know, there's too many, too many guys. Um, they take forever to putt. You know, I think they lose a little bit of their feel for the game by lining up the ball and doing all that things and looking at the green reading book and all, you know, you know, I liken it to this. If, if Jim's warming up in basketball and Jim Gallagher's shooting them there and you're going to shoot them pretty normal, nobody guarding you. Well, you hardly get one shot like that in the game. You get one where you have to kind of lean left and kind of put a little more arc on it because the guy's coming to block it or you got to get underneath them and then scoop it. Or you got to, you know, use the glass on this one when you didn't want to because he's pushed you or whatever. So that is, that's kind of like golf when you're hitting balls on the range. Oh, it's pretty easy, but it's never like that on the course. You get one, one opportunity. I had a bad lie. Ball is below my feet. Well, ball below your feet, 
it's probably going to go thin to the right if you're right-handed. So you got to aim a little more left and maybe take one more club, and you don't learn that on the range and, and hitting. So. That's why this podcast is called Only One Shot Golf, because in life, or, or golf, you may have only one shot, and that's the true right. one. But a couple questions, I'll let you go because I know you're busy. When you look back on your playing career, what are you most proud of? Boy, I don't know. Um, I, I, I've, I've asked that question about a, a, a lot lately as I've gotten older, and uh, I don't know if I'm an underachiever or an overachiever, you know? So um, I'm five foot ten and 170 pounds, and, uh, you know, I, I, was a, I probably weighed 150 pounds when I was 10 years old. I was a, a fat little boy, and I could, I, could really, I, could really, I could really go, Jim. I won the International Junior when I was 10 I won the little people three times and um so I don't know I'm very I'm very streaky like I would have some nice hot stretches of golf and then uh um I I would say what am I most proud of boy that's uh it's a hard one I got a tougher one after this so get this one uh think about this one uh so I'll let you think about that and you come back to it okay if you when you look over your coaching how would you want yeah. your coaches describe you as a coach? Not how you describe it, but how would you want them to describe you? Um, Those are two tough ones. I should have should have backed. Yeah, no, that, that one's probably a little easier. I think that um, I really try to develop the personality of a young person here. Um, you know, um, going back a little bit to being respectful. Uh, you know, we still wear long pants because of Coach Haddock and. Um, uh, we respect the game of golf. I, I want them to, if they don't play for a living, I want them to be the, the best amateur. I want them to be the club champ. I want them to be in the business world and people just can't wait to play with them because they played at Wake Forest and man, this guy's really good. Um, and people don't, some people that think they're okay, they don't realize what really good is. You know, they haven't seen really good. Um, so I want the players to, um, and it's hard for them. I want them to kind of relax into the young person they're going to be. I want them to have a good smile. We do a lot of stuff with donors, and donors always come back to me and say, man, I was so impressed with so-and-so. You know, he was very, he was very well-spoken and, you know, good eye contact and great handshake and uh, very engaging. And, and those kind of things I, I always talk to the team about. I always spread the word. I'm like, hey, guys are doing a great job i think that is what that's how you build a network in life that's how you build fans that's how you build um relationships that you never know how that person could help you and Mm -hmm. uh, my my dad always said you know it costs nothing to be nice to someone and i kind of live by that a little bit and i want the players um if i see them being disrespectful or if i see them you know um not appreciative of, of what they have um Everybody talks about attitude, and attitude's great, but my big A word is appreciative. I want them to be, I want them to appreciate their opportunity that their parents or someone has given them. I want them to appreciate the opportunity of, of, of their college life. I mean, these are the best years of their lives. They don't realize it, maybe, or maybe some do, but as time goes on, they think, man, I wish I was back in school. Man, that was fun. You know, that was a, I don't want it to be a work. I don't want it to be dreadful if you will so i would say the other coach probably described me as uh, old old school old school maybe a free spirit maybe um you know uh i i I think the great thing about golf and the thing that attracted me and probably you as well 
is at the end of the day, if, if you play better than me, I take my hat off and I shake your hand and say, well done. You know, there's no, um, you know what? He was just better than me. He, he and, and, and as a player, then I analyze that, you know, how was he better than me? Well, he hit two extra, two better drives than I did. He made two extra putts or whatever it is. And that's the respect you get from other players. And that's the respect you get in golf. And um, everybody, I love when, you know, players from, other sports are going to retire and then they're going to play the champions tour. They're going to do this or that. I just, I laugh, you know, and uh, I just think, you know, they don't realize how many hours we have spent and how hard it is to, uh, to do it um, over and over hole by hole. And, um, every hole, Jim, there's a crisis, you know, the mm-hmm. first tee, do I, do I hit driver at Freewood and down in the rough, is it going to jump? Is it not going to jump? And well, now it jumped and, okay, is this green, is this chip going to be hard? I don't have a great lie. And then the next hole, it starts over again. Do I hit eight? Do I hit seven? You know, so you're constantly making decisions quickly, I might add, you know, kind of quickly on the fly. And you got about 15, 20 seconds to decide, and then you make that decision. And people always, oh, God, I should hit eight. And I'm like, well, it's a great game of what if. Mm-hmm. If we'd have known eight was going to go long, we'd have hit nine, you know. But you don't know that at the time. But there are things you can do if – if you are in between clubs, I tell them, if you think you got too much, take a little bit of the air out of it. You know, hit it a little lower. That way it's going to get on the ground. And if it is going to be long, at least it hit on the green and then it just trickles over opposed to just hitting something up in the air. And uh, I'm sure you watch the players. And oh, uh, 17th, 17th hole, I, I get it. It was windy and it was comical and, you know, and all that stuff. And But how about the guys, how many that just hit? standard high shot up in the wind. They just blow them around. Hardly anybody tried to hit it, you know, knee high over there. I know. I did you see the one guy had over a hundred and some feet apex, like two balls? It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's because, as Uncle Bob would say, he's a one-way Charlie. He doesn't really know how to play. True. Um, I think in college golf today, there's there's a lot of good players, but there's, there's more guys that can shoot 72 to 75, but there aren't many that can really play that'll slide it, that'll curve it, that'll, you know, uh, you know, they get around the green. It's a 60 degree every time. It's ne- they never hardly take an eight iron bump and run or a, a nine iron from the edge. And, That's so uh, true. I, I watched that. They have their one dimensional with chipping. Uh, Tiger Woods didn't do oh, yeah. that. Uh, these guys. And I think, no. I think for the kids out there listening, even your college kids go to a tournament live. And, and watch it live to see how these guys follow a group specifically that day and see how they manage yeah. their way around it. But you answered your question of what you're most proud of and what I, I'll answer it for you. You had the great Bob Golby, your brother, yourself. You've learned from these people and now you're passing that on all your experiences. So it, the thing you're most proud of is what you've learned from them. You've taken it and passing it on to other young people and you're continuing that trend. So kind of answered your question for you. I don't know if you agree with that, but you've taken the knowledge you've gotten from those men and your own experiences, and you're passing it on and making these young guys better people because you're molding young men at a very pivotal part of your life. Uh, that's my take on what you would be proud of. Well, I appreciate that, and I'll uh, I'll agree with you on that, Jim. I, uh, that's very complimentary, and I, uh, I thank you for saying that. And, um, you know, it, it, I've got um, 58. I'll probably do it maybe another four or five years, and uh, that'll be that'll be enough for me and turn it over to somebody else. But, so you're going to uh, retire before my grandsons who are four are going to play? 
Come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They won't want they won't want me. They want an old guy like me. They want somebody young. Well they so. got an old guy. They're old pro they call me. They got me already. But uh I yeah. I appreciate you spending time with us. It's been great catching up with you. Uh, good luck to you. Where are y'all playing next? I want to get to that because y'all got the, the big uh, spring season coming on. Where are y'all going next? I think it's the Floridian in a week or so. That's correct. Going to the Floridian. Uh, we've had some good luck there. We seem to have played well there. Um, last year, it just shows a little bit how long I've done it, I guess. Last year, we were playing the practice round. And they said, all right, make sure you stand in all your divots. So I was out of sand on the 18th hole, and our guys were hitting shots, and there we had about two holes left. So I walked over to this cart, and there's a guy sitting in it. And I said, uh, hey, is there, excuse me, is there any way I could just borrow a couple of these sand bottles here? We're, we're about out. He's like, yeah, no problem. And as I grab the sand bottle, I make eye contact with him, and it just comes out of my mouth. And I go, oh, man, you're Reggie Jackson. <laughs> and he goes, he goes uh, yes, I am. So anyway, so he introduces me to his, um, his girlfriend, and, you know, we're, we're chatting it up. And I'm just, you know, I mean, this is Reggie Jackson. I grew up coming home and watching the A's play against the Red, you know, all yeah. the Orioles. So, anyway, so I get up to the green now, and uh, he kind of is following us now. He's over there watching from a distance. And uh, I get up to the green, and I'm like, all right, guys, don't look over there. Don't make it obvious. But <laughs> you're not going to believe who's over there. I said, that's Reggie Jackson. Well, within unison, they're all like, Who's Reggie Who's Jackson? I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't know. So it just shows. I was like, oh, man, these kids are young. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, so you, then he, he, was, he, was, he was great. For those kids who are listening that don't know Reggie yeah. Jackson, he was one of the greatest baseball players ever. Uh, so right. remember that. Go back and learn some yeah. history, don't you? I think that's important. Uh, it's just learning the yeah. history of everything. Uh, we just don't do that enough. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, here's a, uh, I'm going to leave you with one trivia question here. See how you do on it. You know I can edit through this hi- too, right? <laughs> yeah, through the history of PGA Tour. Okay. Since we, since they've been keeping records, how many players have won ten or more times in their career? Ooh. You can win that. You can win some cash with this one, or dinner, or beer, or something. I, I, I would. I have no. I, I would say twenty-five, but I'm probably way off. How about you're only 95 off? What? Really? 120 guys have won 10 or more times. Unbelievable. So, I was lowballing it, thinking I would be, I would, I usually exaggerate, so I, I went opposite. Wow. Yeah, most, most everybody guesses anywhere between 18 and 35 I've, I've had, and because they just think of today's player, but you know, you forget about uh, Dr. Kerry Middlecoff. Yeah. You forget about. Johnny Miller and Dave Hill and uh, Mark McCumber won, I believe, 11 times. And my Uncle Bob won 11 times. Bruce Litsky won, I think, 12 or 13. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Justin Leonard, uh, Andrew McGee, I think, won double digits. And it just goes on and on and on. And through you start looking at, oh, man, the, the John Houston, I'll bet, probably won 10 times. Maybe he didn't, but... Um, You're right. I would have you know. mi- missed that. I would have missed that one way yep. off. And I do this for a living. I need to start doing my homework. So you, yeah, you can't right. always learn something every day. Remember that, kids. <laughs> That's, but, right. That's right. But I appreciate you being with us. Uh, good luck to y'all. And uh, get you an NCAA championship. Y'all got a good enough team to yeah. do it. It's going to be fun. To, I'm getting to cover college golf a lot. I've had a blast doing it. I'm looking forward to watching y'all play this spring. 
Thank you, Jim, very much, and I appreciate you having me on. What would-